Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to Wellness Watch presented by the African-American Wellness Project. I am Ellis Dean, a project manager and director of digital programming for blackdoctor.org and the moderator for tonight's show. As you know, we're here every Wednesday uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Pacific uh, time, and we are bringing you all the latest medical news that you need and experts so you can ask your questions and get them answered. So this show is interactive, as you know, and we like to hear from you. We'd like for you to let us know where you're watching from. So make sure you drop that in the comment section. Let us know where you're watching from, and we'll give you a shout out and you and your city a shout out. Also, if you have any questions about the topic for tonight, make sure you also put those in the comment section. We're going to ask our experts because this show is for you and we want you to get your questions answered. We have a robust program tonight. We are talking to Dr. Samir Brown at Atlanta and we're going to be talking to Ms. Lakeisha Culpepper about returning to school safely, how schools are starting all over the country and how do we get our kids in school healthy and safety, not only physically, but mentally as well. So we're going to talk about all those topics tonight and everything in between. So I am so excited to have you here. So again, drop in the comments where you're watching from, share this show. If you know somebody who has some kids in the school that they need some help, make sure you tag them, share the show so we can get them the information that they need. So I'm going to be quiet because I know you didn't sign up, sign up to see my shiny face. So we're going to break in the band of the hour. As my man Chuck Rock would say, he is the man with a plan. No, oh, I just took myself out. He is known as Doctor Michael Benoit. How are you doing this evening, sir? You know, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. I've been moving in my grand piano since I saw you had one. I decided that I better get one myself. So I've been working on that this afternoon. So I got this on the black market, uh, Doctor Benoit. You can't I'm find it. I got this. I'm this, this I'm black market. I may be huffing and puffing here after the, as during the show because I. Moving a grand piano takes an awful lot of skill sets. It doesn't even work. <laughs> but anyway, I want to welcome the guests we have to the show. This is an extremely important topic. I think most parents are extremely confused about what should happen and when it should happen when they send their children to school. Uh, I think there are basically three sets of parents. That one, sets of, one set of parents is completely comfortable with the situation. And there are two sets parents uh, that are comfortable, one those who want uh, in-person learning, and one group of parents who just want the schools to babysit their children, and they're willing to take any kind of risk to do that. I think that's a a group that we don't talk very often about, but most parents are concerned about the safety of their children, and they really don't know what to do, because what you do depends on where you are, and I think it puts an awful lot of stress on an already expanding emotional system. So we're so glad to have both Dr. Brown and Ms. Culpepper here to discuss the situation. And maybe they can bring some light to the darkness of what it is about going to school and what you should be concerned about with the children. So I'll turn it over to you, Mr. Dean, to introduce Dr. Brown and Ms. Culpepper. Well, first of all, our first guest this evening is Dr. Uh, Samira Brown. She is a board certified I want to say Harvard, Harvard educated. So, you know, you know, <laughs> pediatrician uh, in the Atlanta metro area. Uh, she is, has been a regular contributor on blackdoctor.org and we are happy to have her this evening. I can get my computer to work, there we go. Dr. Brown, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, First question is, what are parents saying to you about this whole push? Because uh, you see across the country, you've, especially there's been this kind of political divide about going back to school, not going back to school, mask wearing, not mask wearing. What are parents asking you and saying to you about how to get their kids to return to school safely this year? 
You know, that's a great question. And I think, you know, as pediatricians, you know, we really are hearing these concerns every single day. You know, certainly as a pediatrician, it's not a political issue for us. It's a health issue. Um, and both the CDC and the American of Academy of Pediatrics, we're proud to say, have really recommended that there needs to be universal indoor masking in schools for all of those who are two years and older, including those who are vaccinated and those who aren't. So it's really important that parents understand those recommendations and that they're preparing their kids to make sure that they're going to mask up when they're, when they're in school and that they're really engaging you know, the administration and the staff at their school to make sure that they're following those recommendations. So how, how does COVID affect kids? Because I know we've got people, kids, children down to the age of 12 can get vaccinated, but how does COVID affect kids? And is it different than an uh, effect they have? You know, it was really a common myth at the beginning of the pandemic that, you know, kids couldn't get COVID and that they certainly couldn't spread it. Maybe they didn't get sick. We certainly now know that none of that is true. Kids absolutely can get COVID, they get very sick, and fortunately, very rarely do kids lose their lives, but they can suffer from acute COVID um, and where they are very sick with the actual illness. But by and large, most kids who get acute COVID are gonna have no symptoms at all or very mild symptoms can be treated at home and get better. But now we're seeing more of what we call post-acute sequelae of COVID or PASC. And that involves both long haul in kids where they have brain fog for months, they can have chronic fatigue, shortness of breath, a variety um, of symptoms that they can suffer from. And the other, you know, even more serious complication is MISC or multi-inflammatory syndrome in children. Um, and unfortunately, one to two out of a hundred children who get MISC do not survive it. So it is an inflammatory disease that happens a few weeks after COVID infection. And it doesn't mean that you have to have had a symptomatic acute COVID infection. This can happen in any kids, even those who never knew that they were infected. So 100% kids can be affected and 100% that they need to be protected in the best ways that we know how. Dr. Brown, how concerned are you and how disturbed you by the new information on that mothers, pregnant mothers who get COVID vaccine tend to have premature births um, on much at a much higher rate? As we were telling pregnant mothers, you know, maybe it's okay and everything's all right. But the studies are suggesting that if they have COVID infections during their pregnancy, it increases the rates of prematurity. And I have had in my own practice uh, infants down to age six weeks with positive COVID test results. Absolutely. So we, we want to make sure that pregnant women understand that it is safe for them to be vaccinated. They're, you're right, Dr. Lenore, there's a new study out that shows that you're more likely to have premature birth if you have you know, been infected with COVID during your pregnancy. And of course, even higher for those who have chronic diseases that are pregnant, which are more you know, common in our community, certainly those who have diabetes and such. So it's really important that pregnant women understand that as well. You know, there's so many different jurisdictions, so many different uh, uh, ways in which parents have to confront going back to school, for instance, in Florida, of course, they're they're not required to wear a mask, even have legal legislation against it. Here in California, everybody has to wear a mask. In a perfect world, knowing what you know about the virus, what would you recommend for parents, regardless of what the school districts say? You know, that's a great point, because I think we're in a very different, you know, fall going back to school than we were last year. We have a Delta variant that is highly contagious um, and everyone really needs to be protected. And I think that for parents, they really want to arm themselves with those recommendations and make sure that their child is masking and that they give them the confidence to mask regardless of what other children are doing around them and making sure that they know how to mask consistently and correctly, because certainly the other thing that we see is a lot of kids coming 
into the office and really are not prepared to wear masks, even for the 15 minutes that they may be in our office to see us. It's under the nose, it's under the chin, it's very loose, right? So that's the other piece that's really important about protecting kids and also engaging the schools in proven you know, things that have been studied to lower the risk. They need to maximize their ventilation. They need to test, you know, whether folks are symptomatic or not. They need to institute regular testing. They want to make sure that they're cleaning those high touch surfaces, right? And that they're spreading kids out. And so you, as a parent, I would really encourage you to engage your school in those conversations and make sure that they're prepared. Um, and also that they're aware that if their child is sick, they need to stay home. This is certainly not a time when your child can have a cough or a temp and go to school without making sure that COVID has been ruled out. Well, here's the question. And we know that uh, the, the common term that, that we're hearing, uh, the buzzwords we're hearing on the news is breakthrough cases, right? So, so we understand that even if you're fully vaccinated, um, you can still contract COVID. Now that the vaccinations and the vaccines have been lowering symptoms. You can be asymptomatic, you can have very mild symptoms, but you can still have a breakthrough case. With that being the case, as a vaccinated parent, um, is it possible to pass along the Delta variant to my child? I couldn't hear the last part of your question, Ellis, as a parent. As a vaccinated parent, is it possible to pass along the Delta variant to my child? Yes. So it is low, low, low risk, right? But it certainly is possible, which is why the recommendations have changed that even if you're vaccinated, we want to make sure that you're masking when you're indoors. And that's also why teachers, staff, everyone at school vaccinated and unvaccinated need to make sure that they have their mask on. So there's no vaccine that's 100%, right? but it significantly reduces your risk of having symptomatic disease, a 20-fold decrease in your risk of being hospitalized or losing your life from COVID. It decreases the amount of time that you're contagious and makes it significantly less likely that you're going to pass it on. So there is definitely a very true benefit to getting vaccinated, but there's nothing that's 100%, but it certainly is much, much, much safer than being unvaccinated. So. That is definitely the way to protect those children who are under 12 who cannot be vaccinated is to really vaccinate around your family. And especially if you have children who are at higher risk, say they have sickle cell, asthma, obesity, diabetes, all of those children are at higher risk for complications of COVID. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think one of the problems that we're seeing is that we're missing, somewhere we're missing the message uh, with uh, younger we we were concerned about older people getting vaccinated, but when you start talking to older people, many of them have jumped on the vaccination right away. But the younger people seem to be missing, or we seem to be missing them with the message. Now, there are younger pediatricians like you, and there are old school pediatricians like me. Now, I know the younger pediatricians like to discuss these things as equals with parents and get some consensus and decide, you know, together how to move forward with a particular disease. But I'm not that pediatrician. And so I'm having a conversation asking them, you know, it, it just seems to me irresponsible for you not to get vaccinated. And especially when I hear the excuses of why I'm not getting vaccinated. So I'm a little more directive, but I don't know that my style or technique is any more or less effective than any other. Why are we missing the message with younger parents? I mean, I think that you're right. It, most parents are going to rely on that trusted relationship with their pediatrician, right? That's who most parents say that they're going to go to about whether or not they're going to get vaccinated. And I think that, you know, a lot of us are seeing, you know, a third, a third, a third, a third have come in, they've already been vaccinated, right? A third are on the fence and it's an easy conversation. And then you have about a third who really have some myths that have set in that sometimes it does take more than one conversation. And my goal is always to make sure that I'm respectful in my conversations, that I'm giving them the information, because I certainly don't want parents to come back and say, I didn't know that my child could get really sick from COVID. 
I didn't know that my child could lose their life from COVID. And oftentimes you also know more about their family history and more about their individual risk, like the fact that their grandmother right, might be immunosuppressed, right? And that's why it's even more important. So I think as pediatricians, we can really use the trust that we have established with our families, but certainly I'm willing to have as many conversations as it takes to get them vaccinated. But I definitely am very much to the point that kids are at risk and that it's our job as their parents and their pediatricians to protect them. You know, I think one of the things that I'm going to ask the question for, for the parents, especially for the parents that have children that are under the age of 12, because we have one of our people that are um, watching the program. They've got a nephew that's three years old. So, of, of course, it, vaccines have only been authorized for kids up, up down to the age of 12. So what is the best way to protect my child or my children who are unvaccinated? And I would definitely say to vaccinate all around that child, right? Whether it's a sitter, aunties, uncles, mom, dad, grandma, anybody who's around that three-year-old, you really want to make sure that they're all vaccinated and that they're fully vaccinated, right? So if you are getting the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, that you have gotten both doses and understand that it takes two weeks after the second dose before you're fully protected. Um, and it's, of course, two weeks after the one Johnson & Johnson shot. And then it's important for folks to know that for 12 to 17-year-olds, the Pfizer vaccine right now is the only one approved for them. Um, and it's obviously you know, widely available. And of course, vaccines are completely free in the US. So that's the other thing we don't want folks to hold back because they think that they're gonna get a bill for this vaccine. And that's a good point, because I think a lot of times, you know, when we're coming up with reasons to not get vaccinated, that, you know, oh, I can't pay for it kind of situation. And so you're absolutely right. And many places are taking walk-in appointments, even for children. So it's because of the, the, the there was a kind of a dip in terms of people being vaccinated. When we saw the numbers going down, everybody got excited, stopped getting vaccinated. And so now we've got a stockpile of vaccines. And so, you know, you can walk in and get it pretty much anywhere you want to now in the United States. So I, I think that's a, the, the best answer you can have right now is to, as Dr. Brown is saying, vaccinate all around that child and make sure that child and limit that child's exposure to the world. So when you're out with them, make sure they're masked up, um, make sure they're, they're washing their hands. And we're talking about kids now. So we understand <laughs> that maybe you should have some hand sanitizer there always in, in your purse or in your pocket because children like to touch things, as we all know, especially younger children. So we need to keep their hands sanitized, keep them masked up, and keep them distant away from people that they don't know if they're vaccinated. So I think that's a, a great way to keep our kids safe as much as safe as possible until we get vaccines that are available for uh, younger children. So... Um, how, what are your thoughts in terms of the mask mandate in some states or in some school districts? It's been so disjointed. I'm reading Texas and, and Georgia and, and Florida this going crazy and all of these states and governors reversing positions like in Arkansas. So, you know, what, what's your advice to parents when they're hearing all this fighting happening on, they see all this fighting happening on TV, what is your advice to parents? Okay, how do you protect your household? Is it just say, hey, the, the three W's, wear a mask, wash your hands, watch your distance? Absolutely. And I think, too, to come back to this is not political. This is about health, right? So okay. if somebody told you that you didn't need to put your child in a car seat, would you do that, right? right. So we definitely know that it's more beneficial and safer for kids to mask, to avoid indoor spaces right now because we're in this Delta surge. We know that children are also at risk. And so yeah. it really is our responsibility as their caretakers and as their parents to make sure that we're protecting them in the best way and giving them the confidence to do it, even if somebody else is. And that's a life lesson and a skill that they need for the entire rest of their life. So, you know, before we, we can move to our, we're going to bring in our next guest, and, and, and that's uh, Miss Lakeisha Culpepper. So, we're excited to bring her in. But I understand you have developed a mask for children. Am I correct in that? Yes, you are. So, I co founded a pandemic response company called Little Lives PPE. 
in part because we felt at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really hard to find medical grade protection for children. Um, and a lot of times when you look at masks and things that kids and adults are wearing, you have no idea what it filters or if it filters anything, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about those tiny little droplets that carry COVID that you can breathe in that remain suspended in the air, it's really important that you're protected. So in the office, we wear what we call N95s and N means that the US has certified it. Um, and 95 means that it, at minimum, it filters out 95% of those tiny little droplets. And so what we did is that we came up with a child version of an N95 that we call a KN95, it differs because it has ear loops instead of those headbands that go around. And this is called a KN95 equivalent. We call it our LL95. You can see it comes in lots of different colors for kids because you know how they are. They <laughs> like to wear something that might match. We also have the adult size, so you can see the difference here. The important piece is that one, ours has filters that are made out of polypropylene, which actually have an electrostatic charge to make sure that viral droplets cannot go through. And they also filter greater than 99% of those small particles and have been proven to be breathable, both inhale and exhalation, which is one of the most important tests that medical masks can have to make sure that you can wear it all day and you can breathe through it. So one of the main complaints that we found in the beginning is that with certain materials, kids just can't breathe through it, so they take it off. And the other mask that we have created is also an ASTM, a surgical mask, uh, level three. That's the highest that you can get. It looks just like a surgical mask that you would see surgeons wear, and this too comes in cute designs and sized down to ages two, um, of course, teens and adults, we have sizes and different colors for them as well. Um, but really our main goal is to make sure that you have US made, high quality, medical grade, true PPE, so that you can make sure that you're really protected when you're wearing a mask. And what was the name? How can people get those masks for their kids? Yeah, so we're available at littlelivespppe.com. Okay, great. So um, that's wonderful to know. And I'm going to put that in. So everybody, if you're watching us, I will put that up on the screen so you can go to littlelivespp.com and get some medical grade masks. We're going to ask you to stick around, stick around uh, Dr. Brown. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to play a, a short video here. Uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to bring on Ms. Culpepper. And we're going to really talk about the emotional health of our kids. Because I know we just talked about the physical health when we're talking about COVID and the vaccines and things of that nature. But we're also going to be talking about the emotional health. And so Dr. Yeah. Ms. Culpepper is going to really help us kind of dive into that and then well, of course, we'll be talking to you as well, Dr. Brown, about that thing. So, can, can I ask one question before sure. you uh, do that? I, I really saw it really surprised me that looking at the uh, studies, that an M95 mask gets about 90%, but a cloth mask gets about 34%, and a surgical mask about 40%. I, I don't know whether I'd seen that before because, you know, I thought the, the masks were more equal, but I guess. Uh, and I think a lot of people think that, but these M95 masks are really very important uh, in terms of much more efficient in terms of. Yeah, and I think out. that that's a great question. It's really why the CDC recommends that all healthcare providers, even when we're seeing well visits, right? Folks who have right. had their temperatures taken, they have no symptoms at all. They want a thin eye protection, depending on where we are, as well as you know a high grade mask. So it's really important because with a KN95 equivalent, you have a much tighter and snug fit. Um, and what a lot of kids like about that too, about that style is that it's not laying all the way across their face, but it's harder to get the, you know, kind of three ply style to fit as tight, but you can bring it around because you want to make sure that has a wire, you know, right around the nose so that you can fit it down. And then you of course can twist the sides to make sure that it really fits nice and tight. Um, so you really want to make sure that you are not wearing one of those masks that's gaping and then pulling it down to talk and eat and, you know, do all those kinds of things that you really want as tight as you can. Um, but there is a very large variety in terms of filtration, in terms of what masks are able to do. 
So we have a question from the, the audience. Um, are the masks hypoallergenic? Because she's saying her grandson has eczema on his face in the mask area and it, it can cause him to break out. So are they hypoallergenic? Yes, they are hypoallergenic. They are latex free. Um, and so we also, that was also one of the pieces. So, you know, sometimes you can get fraudulent, unfortunately, um, masks that have fiberglass and those kinds of things contained in their filters. And so we have gone, you know, above and beyond to make sure that you have a product that is truly non-toxic. Great question. This is, this is great. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to bring in Ms. Culpepper and we're going to shift our conversation to really talking about the emotional, the social emotional health of our kids, understanding that we do need interaction, being at home, taking classes at home, affected them emotionally as well. But going back to school under this amount of pressure and scrutiny and, and, and lack of safety and not knowing what to do is also affecting their emotional health as well. So we're going to bring in Ms. Culpepper kind of walk us through some solutions on how we can keep our kids safe both physically and mentally so real quick we're going to play this video and we'll be right back i understand the hesitancy and the resistance that some folk may have to taking the covid 19 vaccine and you absolutely have a right to feel hesitant the covid is real and i know from firsthand experience i had it i wouldn't wish covid on anyone i fully recovered but I don't want to ever be that sick again. You and all the people that you love are at risk from COVID-19 infection. So please get vaccinated for yourselves, your family, and your community. Thank you. Yeah, I thought we wouldn't have to play that too much. And you're watching Wellness Watch here on uh, <laughs> Black Doctor Org and African American Wellness Project with Dr. Lenore. And as you know, we just talked to uh, Dr. Brown ab about keeping kids safe. She's a pediatrician about keeping kids safe in COVID times. And now we're going to bring on another guest, and that is Miss Lakeisha Culpepper. Welcome to the program tonight, Miss Culpepper. Thank you for having me. Is, she is a former assistant principal that now speaks on social emotional health in the school system. Now that is a very, very fancy sounding title. What does, what does that mean in, in terms of social emotional health in the school system? Right. So, so again, thank you so much for having me today. Um, we talk a lot about social emotional health. Basically, not only um, our physical health, and I would know we've talked a lot tonight about our physical health, like your temperature, um, the things that we can touch. But when we talk about social and emotional health, we're talking about how students are interacting with those around them, not only their family, but really their classroom, their school community, the world. Um, and the emotional health has to do with what's happening on the inside of them that we sometimes can't hear or see. And so those are the areas that we want to make sure, especially during this time, we're keying in on. We've seen so many adults struggle with those areas as well, right? The social and the emotional. So right. I think we would be very naive to see um, or not to see that our children are facing some of the same things. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and, and since they're children, they can't indulge in some of the behaviors that adults have been engaging in to um, maintain their social and emotional health, <laughs> whether that's healthy or not. We, that's another program that we'll talk about. But what are some ways that children can kind of protect them or how can parents help their children protect their emotional well-being in all of this crisis with the pandemic? Great question. Great question. And so for me, um, and so my role right now is I serve as community liaison for one of the largest districts here in Texas. Um, and what I do is I really equip parents with the information and the tools to really be able to do a lot of this work at home. Because as we saw during the shutdown, much of the learning and work had to happen at home. And we heard parents talk about how they felt ill-equipped to support their children in academics. But we also saw families, because they were grappling with their own emotional issues and financial struggles, or their own health, 
that really struggle with that. And so one of the things I like to teach our community and our family is to really think about it in terms of your five senses, right? So, um, and, and we teach that in school. So why, why not use that as a way to help us remember? But um, let's think about our first sense being our sight, right? So what are the things that your children are seeing on a daily basis? Are they seeing you gorge on CNN and them watch it with you? Are they seeing the ticker of the numbers that are adding to your anxiety and their anxiety? Are they only seeing the four corners of their room and starting to experience self-inflicted, sometimes isolation? Or are they seeing the neighborhood because you're encouraging them to go outside and ride a bike, to play, to walk? So Think about what things your children are seeing every day and make sure that the things that they're seeing that they're taking in through their sight are productive and healthy and are contributing positively to their wellness. The same thing for what they hear, right? And we know this. I love being a classroom teacher because I've served, served as a classroom teacher, instructional specialist, assistant principal and principal for, for 20 years now, right? And kids tell you all the things at home that are happening that the parents don't often think that they can hear, right? <laughs> They're hearing it all. So being mindful of what do our children here at home? Are they hearing our fear and our anxiety? Are they overhearing conversations with you talking to grandmother or other family members who may be critically ill? Like, how is that going to affect them if that's what they're hearing all day? Or are they hearing classical music? Are they hearing you play some of their favorite tunes throughout the house? Are they hearing their favorite shows, their favorite music? Are they hearing sounds of nature? And there's so many great apps right now that um, one of the things we used at our, at our home during all of COVID was the Calm app because it has guided meditation and sounds of, of soothing nature and wellness, right? And so what are the things that we're allowing our children to listen to? The same is true about what they're tasting. Are we feeding them healthy? things? Are we making sure that we know prevention, right, is better, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure? Like I know we've got all these great doctors on tonight. Um, so what are we feeding our children? And so are we feeding them things that make their souls happy, right? And sometimes it's all vegetables, but sometimes give them the cake, right? Because sometimes you just need a taste of something that brings you joy. The same is true for, for touch, right? And smell. So with our house, at our house, we use a lot of aromatherapy. So again, during COVID, we wanna have that eucalyptus going throughout our house, right? And I don't know how medically proven aromatherapy is, but it sure made me feel better. When I woke up early in the morning and I smelled fresh lemon going through my house, or even the smell of baked bread or fresh cookies and things like that. So just creating an atmosphere that taps into all of those five senses. And the most important is touch, holding our children near us, touching their hands, rubbing them. I say to my kids every day before you leave, I've got to hold you for three seconds. And when they were younger and I started doing that, they thought it was so weird, especially as they got older. But now they've started to lean in because touch is so important. And sometimes as parents, we don't know the right things to say. We don't know the words, right? We don't have the words for our, our own friends and ourselves who are struggling. But that touch, that hold, that snuggle sometimes is all they need to know that it's going to be okay. So, so, so Dr. Brown, uh, when you hear... Somebody says, uh, give them, give them cake, let them eat cake. <laughs> what, what's, what's your first response? <laughs> uh, listen, I agree, right? So what I tell kids, right, there are no such things as diets for the most part, right? We want them to eat very healthy, mostly fruits and veggies, whole grains, protein, right? Make sure they're getting calcium, vitamin, vitamin D, all these kinds of things. Anything that's sugar sweetened, we're going to do on a limited basis, right? But when you do it, have fun with it, right? But nothing is off the table, but absolutely, Miss Culpepper, all in moderation and have fun with it have fun with your kids. And I know in our office, we certainly do use lavender for kids who are very anxious. So um, we do, we love aromatherapy uh, to incorporate it into the office. You know, um, it, it's funny, there, there's a saying that says, little corn has big ears, right? And so we would say that around children to let, to kind of as a way of letting each other know that, hey, the kids are around and they're listening to what we're saying. So you would just say, hey, little corn has big ears. And that meant 
change the subject because this is an adult conversation and not for children. And so you're absolutely right in terms of, I like the five senses approach because it's a holistic approach. It touches all of the things, what they're seeing, smelling, hearing, touching, tasting, all of those things can provide some sense of normalcy, some simple kind of, all right, structure and order to the world. Um, and that helps their mental stability as they move forward. A lack of structure, a lack of stability. We know all of the studies that show that children that grow up in households that are unstable, that are unstructured, tend to lead more, let's say, destructive lives. Uh, whether self-destructive or societal is destructive. And so the more that we can provide structure and a sense of normalcy for our children, the better off they will be in the long run in the middle of a pandemic. So um, you're in tech, all right? <laughs> I, I read about uh, your, your governor every day. Uh, how are the teachers responding? And I know some things you may or may not be able to say because of your role, but just how are the teachers responding? Are they just, are they wearing masks? Are they choosing to wear masks? Are the schools, you know, how, how is everybody responding there? That's a great question. And so prior to the end of the school year, last school year, um, we did have everyone required to wear masks. So we were completely masked up. We were doing our social distancing. We had plexiglass everywhere. We did offer virtual and in-person learning options for families. But part of what happened here in Texas with our legislature, this 87th session, was um, a bit of a walkout that resulted in our legislature being unable to vote on which part of those things would continue to be funded. And so the funding for virtual learning was not granted. And so that was off the table, meaning all families had to return in person this year. And the other thing was that our governor did um, move to remove all mandates. Um, but interestingly enough, just today in Dallas County, um, Clay Jenkins, Judge Clay Jenkins, um, moved to reinstate mask wearing for our public schools and in schools across Texas, right? And so literally that is hot off the press. Some of our families may not have gotten their call out yet. And so we're just finding that out. And I'm gonna tell you, this is just like every other issue we're gonna talk about in any state in this great nation where we live. We have folks that are on both sides or in the middle as Dr. Brown so eloquently put, right? Those people who are there who have said we're gonna do this those people who are on the fence and are undecided and those people who have stood firm saying they're going to do something else, right? And so what we try to do is comply with whatever the law of the land is so that we take away that personal opinion, the political lean to the thing, um, but really comply with whatever is the law of the land. And that did change and goes into effect tonight at midnight. We got breaking news. I mean, you 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 come over here breaking news. Like, what's what's? <laughs> let, let, let me say a few things, Ellen. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice to be in the conversation. But um, a, a couple of things. One is that you know we fight the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, today, the governor said all teachers, state of California, must be vaccinated, and so that obviously brings out a whole different group of, of oppositions. I think most people in California though continue to wear masks, I think we just kind of got used to it. Uh, and I think that, that that means that we're going to see a rebellion. The other thing I heard this morning was that we had 10,000 temporary teachers last year, uh, and most of them are gone. And so the resources in terms of people being wanting to teach or being able to teach or not wanting to get vaccinated is going to put us uh, in harm's way. And already here in the Bay Area, we've had set two or three schools that have had to close because even with the mandates that we have here in California, they've had outbreaks of coronavirus epidemics. So I think it's going to be difficult when the nation doesn't appreciate how to save itself. I think that's one of the serious things. And I think teachers have every right to, uh, to demand to be vaccinated. I'm on that side of the issue. But uh, we're starting to see some rebellions here against that mandate. Well, that just came out today, so we don't know how well that's going to be. And it's funny how you have one, you have a judge that says you can be vaccinated. We have a group of people who are demanding to be free. That's one. I think that's part of the problem for children. And they can't, they can't look at TV. I can't even watch TV like that. 
I get depressed looking at the numbers, looking at CNN. I don't know which one it is. Is it Lawrence O'Donnell? Who's the, they all put up the numbers. I mean, you, you, I, I just try to turn the sports center or something. So I know the children. I know what children must be going through. It just must be a horrible time uh, for them. And if I could add, Dr. Lenore, I'm so sorry, Ellis. Um, one of the things I'm going to tell you, we see, we we saw this summer nationwide, right? As we prepare to hire, to return to school, it is a national issue. So we have a national shortage of teachers. And I think one of the things we are not saying out loud and acknowledging is that we lost teachers to death, right? There were, I can't tell you the number of funerals that I attended. So we lost teachers, teachers lost family members and decided that they might want to do something different in the scope of seeing how short and precious life could be. And so this epidemic of not having enough teachers is not just unique in California or Texas, but we really have seen that as a trend nationwide. I'd like to ask Dr. Dr. Brown, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about as pediatricians and pediatricians are talking about across the country is the fact that not only have we not getting vaccinated for COVID, but vaccinations in general for the usual diseases have gone down. Uh, How are you experiencing that and how are you dealing with that? So you're absolutely right. There's a national, you know, um, alert in the fact that so many children are behind on just their routine vaccinations that folks initially were not coming in for their well visits and now are, you know, a year or two sometimes behind, haven't even come for their well visit, even if they haven't been vaccinated. So certainly for us, we reach out to our patients who are behind and haven't come in for their their well visits. We encourage them to come in. We let them know that we are a fully vaccinated office, that we are gonna be masked. They and their children, as long as they're over two, will be masked. And we actually bring them in one at a time um, and do, of course, really good change over, you know, in terms of our well visit. We also, along with most pediatric visits, are going to do our urgent care at a completely separate time of the day. So I think that's the other piece is that families need to understand what you're doing to make it safer for them to come into the office. We talk about in-person learning as one of the disadvantages of uh, this whole issue, the situation where you are there. But we're doing a lot of telehealth. I mean, and you're doing a lot of telehealth too. Huh? I wonder what your impression is. We we get the impression that well, for routine stuff, a lot of that stuff that we do as pediatricians is just theater. I mean, the number of times when you walked into a room, found a doctor so for a low at a big six-year-old child, you can count on one hand. Uh, and parents like kind of like it. They don't have to call all the children in. They don't have to. I mean, I miss the interaction. That's why I went into pediatrics. Uh, what's your impression of uh, telehealth and what's your impression of telelearning? I mean, I'd like to know uh, from the two of you how you, what you're experiencing. Miss Kellepuffer, I'll defer to you. I'll let you go first. <laughs> so what I will say is, so it was very interesting. Um, our district spent millions on devices, hotspots, and Chromebooks for every student to be equipped. To be able to learn from home, our teachers were both in-person and virtual at the same time. So they were simultaneously of students, um, oftentimes much fewer students. So you might have 10 to 12 in the classroom, um, but you had then another 10 to 12 at home. I can tell you, I got to substitute teach during that time last year, and it was no small feat to do both. And there were some teachers that thrived and loved it, and it was others that it was an absolute nightmare. But I can tell you, we also had some families that had minimal engagement or never logged in. And so what was interesting, especially now, as we are hearing families really want to go back to having that virtual option, we're, we're trying to track right now to see from a data standpoint, how successful was it truly when we saw across the board academic decline for our students. And so while I loved it as a patient and I got to participate in telehealth with my physicians, I was attentive and I then did what the doctor told me to do. And I don't know that that necessarily happened for all of our students who were virtual. 
And I will say first, and I'm so impressed by all teachers out there who did both at the same time and switched back and forth. And I mean, extremely impressive. I think, you know, it's been a hard year for kids and families, just in particular, just with the academic losses that we've seen, right? I think there were some, you know, a million children, right, who didn't enroll in kindergarten last year, right? So those are things that, you know, are hard to make up when you start with an academic loss. So I think it's really important for kids to be engaged back in school and as safely as they can. Um, and certainly a virtual learning is something that we can use to, you know, bridge that when there are outbreaks. I think it's something that we're going to have to incorporate really ongoing as we learn to live with COVID. Um, I am definitely a fan of telemedicine when it's appropriate. One, I love to see what the family environment is like at home, because I think a lot of times it gives you more of an idea of the dynamics and the environment that your you know, families are living in. And also, I think if you have something like an eczema outbreak and I can save that family the time of bringing everybody in the car into the visit in, out in you know, five, 10 minutes when we can do it safely at home, but there certainly are times that folks think that they can be treated at home. And once you really go tease through everything, you know, you realize that they really do need to come in. And certainly we all know that, you know, also as uh, mandated reporters, it's also important that kids are coming back into the classroom and coming back into the office. So also too, you can pick up kids who may be going through abuse or neglect sadly at home. And with them being at home, certainly we know those, those rates have increased. So it's really important also to make sure that you're trying to get your families back into your office as well. I certainly have noticed that every kid I know is a little fatter than he was a year ago. I mean, that's one thing we are seeing. We're seeing an increase in obesity in these children. Uh, and you have to have the men. You have to bring them in to at least see some of that. So uh, well, I don't know how long it's going to last or how long they're going to pay for it, which is a, usually how long it lasts. Uh, but it does seem to have some advantages. And it's interesting. You know, one of the things I can say is as we return to school, even with some of the mandates being removed, a lot of the things you talked about, Dr. Brown, we've continued to do, right? So the constant cleaning, the social distancing, um, really being mindful of um, just those checks for students as they come in. So we've continued those. But one of the things that we've started doing is rapid testing on campuses, which really has also helped because what we're finding too is, and I knew this, we knew this was true of the common cold and flu, that sometimes parents are not always 100% honest with whether or not the child is feeling well when they drop them off. Um, and so we've been able to, because of that, catch some students at the door uh, that really should not have been sent to school in the first place. And so this really creates an interesting dynamic because we know families, they need to go to work. Like they don't want to miss a day. And many of the families that we have missed lots of days last year are faced unemployment. And so now they're wanting to get to work. And so it really created a hard space for families to be in when they're trying to make the determination of, do I go to work or do I stay home with my child that might or might not have COVID? I think that that's a really great point. And that's something that we have really done a lot of outreach in our office in terms of parents understanding that we're going to write them a work excuse letter for the entire quarantine or however long that they need to be out, right? Even if the child didn't necessarily need to come in because they weren't severely ill, if they had symptoms and that COVID needed to be ruled out, 100% we're going to write that letter. So definitely families out there, call your pediatrician when that happens because there are, there are a lot of pressures on families who, you know, have those employee, employees that are not as understanding. So we're definitely, you know, going to stand in there with you. Um, and certainly, you know, every parent has just had that time, right? That your child was completely fine the night before and yeah. you're, you know, get up in the morning, you're on your way to school and, you know, two hours later, they're calling you and saying, we've got a fever, we've thrown up, or, you know, now we've got a cough. We understand that that happens. Um, like you're saying, Ms. Culpepper, you know, this is certainly too, is not the time that if they have a mild cold, right? If you know that you do absolutely want to keep them home, get everybody tested and call your pediatrician when you're, when you're not sure. Yeah, I hope that uh, coming out of this pandemic, I mean, I think we've talked about this, Mr. Dean, there's a bigger 
there's a bigger um, appreciation for teachers. You know what I mean? Oh, I think a lot of people, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the angriest people I see on TV are people who are, who are pissed off. About, I'm sorry, but this is Kate. This is Facebook Live. I can say what I want. But in any event, that they're upset because they have to stay home with these children and that they understand the babysitting function that teachers do for them and along with the educational function. I'm absolutely certain that that's true. And I can honestly tell you, we've had some families that have said that, um, but we've also had some families say to us, honestly, like, I cannot make them do work at home. I am afraid to send them to school. What do I do? Right? So some of our parents are really struggling with knowing how to deal with and address their own children at such all day, right? And in this type of environment. And Dr. Brown hit on it a little bit. We did see child abuse cases go up through the roof almost immediately when we first shut down um, nationwide. And so it, it has been interesting. And so we really work to empathize with our families, report um, as, as the need arises to do that, but really train our parents to get the help they may need to be better equipped to do the things that we need to be doing right now. Because it is new for everyone. It really is. And, and I think you're right. I hope we, we maintain the good things that we've learned. One of the things that we've seen and I'm very excited about um, was that now we've seen some parents we've never seen before who were able to participate on conferences and things like that virtually, right? And so that's one of the pluses that we saw is when we started offering Zoom um, live, you know, just click this link. You don't have to come to the school to find out how to help your child at home. That, those numbers went up. So we've seen some positive things as well, um, but hopefully we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater and we can figure out how to keep the good stuff and maybe put away some of the things that didn't work as well. Well, real quick, as we're wrapping up this program, this has been a wonderful, wonderful discussion as we're wrapping up. There was a question earlier about booster shots, and so I'm going to address that really quickly here. Um, I was on a forum before we got on this on this uh, call, and um, in terms of booster shot for people that are that are already vaccinated, as of right now, the vaccines are providing a a sufficient protection for people uh, against all of the variants that are out there. So right now, a booster shot is not necessary. Now they're thinking into the future as we're monitoring how long the effectiveness of the vaccines last, uh, how long we are protected. If that protection starts to wane at some point amongst a large group of people, then um, you know, we, we can revisit that. But right now, the focus has always been on getting as many unvaccinated people vaccinated as possible so we can kind of lower uh, the amount of people that uh, lower the ability for variants, more variants to be uh, created and things of that nature. So as of right now, uh, they're thinking about booster shots, but right now, no, because the vaccines are still providing uh, adequate protection. I had a friend of mine who just went into Walgreens and told me and hadn't been vaccinated and got an extra shot. So he's already got his, already got his booster shot. I think it probably will come to that at some point, uh, but I don't. I told him I didn't know what dose he was getting. I don't know whether he was getting the right vaccine, but he decided he was just too. He was so anxious about these variants that he just went in and got an extra dose. But I think we're going to have another. We're going to have to have a whole another campaign. Don't you agree, Alice? Uh, when we start a uh, asking for people to get a booster shot, b asking for people to get infants less than two to start getting COVID shot. We're going to have to start a whole different campaign. It's a whole different conversation. Uh, and I think it's going to be a much tougher sell. Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, you know, I wrote an article recently about the kind of the, it's a worldwide pandemic and we're talking about the vaccine. I was talking about the vaccination rates in um, like a continent of Africa where we're here in this country, we're only looking at about 330 million people. Whereas in the continent of Africa, we have about 1.2 billion people and many of the countries in the uh, continent of Africa are less than 2% fully vaccinated. And so we're talking about a worldwide pandemic.
and people moving freely around, even vaccinated people moving freely about. We know the Delta variant, we can have breakthrough cases. And so that has you know, facilitated the spread. And so until we get it handled on this around the world, not just here in the States, but around the world, we're gonna to continue to face these challenges. And so based on that data and, the, and how slow it has been to get vaccinated around, uh, countries around the world uh, vaccinated at a high rate, then we'll, there probably will be the need for a booster shot at some point. But right now we're still being protected by the by the vaccines. And so if, if you're not vaccinated, you know, get to the talk to your doctor. Don't do the internet search. Don't do your Google MD. What I need you to do is talk to your doctors, talk to epidemiologists, talk to people that have studied this and this is what they do. Talk to them and get some information with regards to whether or not it is safe for you to be vaccinated. Now, 167 million people in this country have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and, and most of those I have been without any type of incident whatsoever. So there is a, a lot of evidence to show the safety of, this vac of the vaccines. And so if you need that more information of what's in the vaccine, you can go to the CDC website and there is a link there that shows all the ingredients for all three vaccines that are available here in the United States, both the Moderna, all three, Moderna, Pfizer, and the Johnson Johnson. So you can get all the list of ingredients there if you need that information. So the information is there, it's just gotta to go to the right sources and the CDC has a wealth of information there on their site. Yeah, well, I want to thank both of you for joining us. I mean, it's really been quite a remarkable conversation. I, I share spaces with you in a number of ways. The, Dr. Brown, I've been a pediatrician for much longer than you've been alive. <laughs> That's one thing. And allergies just as long. And Ms. Culpepper, I, I didn't go to Harvard, but I did go to the University of Texas at Austin and medical school in Galveston. So I'm a Texas boy all the way through. So, uh, but I, I think this has been, uh, thanks to Mr. Dean, one of the more interesting conversations that we've had on the Welcome Watch. And we invite you back again, because we know there's going to be a whole lot more problems for us. <laughs> well, I, I think, I thank you both for, for coming on. I, I think it's important that as, as adults engage in adult conversations about these vaccines. And again, to, to the people that, I, that we're talking to, and it, it is your decision. And I, again, while we are advocating for getting vaccinated, it's still a personal decision whether or not you choose to vaccinate. Well, we had as we have as many scientists as we think we have, we'd be on the moon <laughs> as a culture. I mean, I don't, we have a difference of opinion on that, but we can work that out. I'm, what, what I'm saying is it's still a choice to get vaccinated, all right? And now those choices, what, what, what I am saying is this, if you're choosing not to be vaccinated, also choose to do things that are gonna protect yourself and the community, okay? And that means wearing a mask, that means washing your hands, and that means watching your distance. If you're choosing to be unvaccinated, you cannot carry on as if, there's nothing going on because as we can see, children as young as 23 months, as I read earlier today, there in, in Mississippi and in and, and many of the Southern states, children as young as 23 months that cannot protect themselves are being infected. And so you have to, can't, you can't be selfish about that. That's your responsibility in my opinion. This is my opinion. That's where the irresponsibility comes into. You have to be responsible for the people that cannot protect themselves. And that's primarily elderly and children. Children can't even be vaccinated under these things. Yeah, maybe we can come together on that one word, irresponsible. <laughs> well, we agree on that. I think there's some irresponsibility there, but that irresponsibility stops, you know, again, um, talk to your doctors and make sure that you're getting the, 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 the proper information about, about safety. And again, I just say 167 million people are fully vaccinated. And that's just in this country alone. So we were talking about hundreds of millions of people around the world and it's proving to be safe. Multiple vaccines are proving to be safe. And so if you can counter that argument, then let's have that conversation. Until then, I'm gonna go with the fact that the vaccines are safe. I've had it, my wife had it, my kids had it, we're all good. So that's all I can do. <laughs> but again, thank you all for coming on this evening and really enlightening us. Please, please, please protect your children. I love what Ms. Culpepper said. Protect all five of your senses. Sight, 
smell, sound, touch, hearing, all of that. Make sure your children are protected in any way that you can. They are our most precious resource. And please, please, please protect them at all costs. Thank you. <laughs> You're not going to end with your normal statement? No, well, you know, I, well, let me just tell you why I'm thinking about that. It, it get, when I end with my normal statement, the ending is so ragged that it just makes me uncomfortable. So this time I said, I'm just going to let Mr. Dean end the program like he does because he's doing this all the time. It's smooth. And it would be a, so I will say, though, health is your biggest asset. So protect it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Lenore. Remember, listeners, Black Doctor Speak is a weekly podcast sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Markel Lenore Endowment, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. Continue the conversation with us on social media at Black Doctor Speak, on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.